Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Live from the U.S. Post Office's Office of the Third Assistant Adjunct in Charge of Sustainable Stamp, Art, and Design, this is the award-winning stamp show here today, episode number 222. Brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center. This is Tom. This is Cash. This is Scott. This is Mark. And this is Don. So what happens when you design a stamp and then you change the design? You throw it away. Oh, no? I wouldn't do that. Today we are going to discuss the 1861 August issue, the 1851 one-cent Franklin stamp, and the Legends of the West recalled sheet as well as essays and designs in general. This is a full plate, so let's dive right in. And happy birthday to U.S. Scott, number one. And happy birthday to U.S. numbers uh, 5, 7, 11, uh, 10, 10A, and 17. going there's plenty more that were <laughs> issued in the first week of july no no they were the, the, remember they only issued the one cent the three cent the 12 cent the rest of them came out later you're only limiting yourself to early classics oh <laughs> i mean yes, come on ha- happy birthday to uh the first, second constitution of lesotho and uh the invention of the wheelie by uh don't forget the intervention of the tube sock oh uh you're right. That was today. Oh, my goodness. And you forgot to buy a present. Oh. So we dove right in, but somebody forgot to fill the pool. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what that noise was? That's what happened. <laughs> so, in 1861, a new printing contract needed. What did it need? needed to be made. <laughs> Stupid needy contracts. <laughs> <laughs> that was a complete sentence at one time. <laughs> and it could be again if you learn how to play. <laughs> so, in 1861, a new printing contract needed to be made with the post office. The contract for printing stamps was due to run out in June 1861, and a new contract needed to be made. The Postmaster General had several challenges to deal with at the time. Two of the most serious were that the post office was losing money, and the other was the Civil War. The new contract needed to address both of these things. The first problem was partially addressed by the fact that the National Banknote Company agreed to produce stamps at a cost that was 30% less than the old contract. In 1860, the post office made a tiny profit. However, much was from the South. With fixed costs that were hard to change, the post office anticipated that once they lost the revenue from the disloyal states, 
it would turn a big loss. Another problem is that during 1861, letters to the South were not being delivered. The year of 1861 ended with 103,680 dead letters, and dead letters were costly. It was suggested that valuable dead letters be returned to their owners, and they should be charged with triple the ordinary rate of postage. That is, one fee for return transportation to the dead letter office, one for registration there, and one for return transportation to the writer. Now, why weren't they delivering mail? Hmm, bullets? I thought it was the Fife and Drummer Boys. They scared everybody away. You're getting crickets for that one. Those mini balls could cause some damage, though. The Postmaster General, who was vehemently anti-slavery, said that it was unsafe to deliver mail to the South, and any proceeds that those states gained from the sale of postage would probably be put to the Southern War effort. Also, that it would help the rebels if the post office were to deliver their, finger quotes, seditious speech in the form of newspapers and circulars, Therefore, all printed matter should therefore be ceased to be delivered. So does it follow that the people in the southern states wanted their mail delivered, but they were getting screwed over by the postmaster who was from the north? That sounds probably true for personal letters. You know what we need to do is we need to bring this up with Patricia Kaufman, because there was cross-border mail. Yes, there was. But it was unofficial across because well, the North couldn't... We're also really talking about 1861, which was when the Civil War began. And it actually took a while for the mail to stop yeah. being transferred between the North and the South. Um, so, I mean, when you get in a f- couple of years later, yes, the, the mails were stopped. They were not delivered cross-border. They were delivered with treaties and things like that. Yeah. But, um, you know, in, initially, uh, pretty much letters got through. Although I can see the postmasters not wanting to deliver newspapers and, and circulars and things like that, which would have, could have printed propaganda and things like that. Well, if you ignore that part, I could very easily see the postmasters, because remember, the postmasters got a stipend. And then they had to carry out their business. That was well, a whole yeah. thing. Yeah, and, and so, you know, Johnny wanted to write a letter home to mom and uh, you know, say, hey, I'm stuck on the northern side of the border and I'm not going to make it home for Christmas. Yeah. You know, that's a seditious letter. Yeah. But the whole thing is, is that if you have a stipend, you have to pay your own expenses, stuff like that. You don't want to deliver something that you're not getting paid for. Well, that's also true. So... If I was a postmaster and I got a northern letter with northern postage and I was a southern person, I'd kind of look at it and say, you're not paying me for this. You know, I'll deliver it if it's convenient or like if the person literally walks up here and gets it themselves. But I would not be uh, interested in, you know, carrying out business for which I'm not getting paid for. I can also see the postmaster turning around and 
when he uh, you know delivers the letter he basically collects money even though it had a stamp on it he would collect money from the recipient like postage do like postage do yeah yeah $270,000 worth of stamps were in the southern states and faced with the prospect of losing that money along with the mounting cost of the dead letters the postmaster general cut the rebel states off from deliveries and changed the stamps in changing the stamps, he demonetized all the current issue and requested that in the new contract that the National Banknote Company produce the new stamps with the new designs. This also had the side effect of depriving the rebel states of an alternative method of currency. Because when hard money was scarce, either paper or coin, then they would use stamps as currency. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that would definitely uh, put a dent in that. Yeah. You I could mean, have... they could still use it because there was plenty of them around, and you just had to agree that you were going to change, you know, you were going to trade with that as your... Yeah, it was just... As your marker, but... Paper coinage instead of metal yeah. coinage. Yeah. It was decided to keep the current denominations, and for a while it was proposed to change the colors as well as the designs. However, the colors were only changed slightly. The post office department wanted the new designs to be issued as soon as possible, and so the designs were based on the previous issue. Few issues have been put into production with greater speed and with fewer changes than the 1861 issue. Yeah, an interesting note was they went to Topan and Carpenter, who had printed the prior issue, and said, hey, you're bidding, go ahead and, you know, give us a new design. And all they did was uh, add the word U.S. postage and uh, letters and stuff, it, it, they they were kind of lazy in their design. The banknote, the American banknote company actually made new designs that would be recognizable at a distance. Well, they essentially used the same vignettes. Um, I mean, some were slightly different size. I think the five cents facing a different direction. But yeah, that's it. All the rest, the... The, the, one, the one cents... Uh, a smaller bust, but the others are pretty much, the vignettes are very similar. Yeah. The 30 cents a smaller bust, too. No, side by side, they do look significantly close to each other, but different enough so that you would be able to pick them out. In August 1861, the National Banknote Company gave the post office gummed and perforated copies of their designs. These are known as the August Issue, but also called Premier Gravures. The 24-cent and 30-cent denominations were approved immediately, but the rest needed changes to their design before final approval. However, because of an immediate shortage of the 10-cent denomination, the August plate was put into immediate use. This is how we got Scott number 62B. The remaining denominations were never used, although a few did fall into the hands of collectors. And one of the five-cent premier graviers actually went through the mail. So, Scott, what is the design parts of August issue? As, well, as you mentioned, the ten-cent, uh, having the premier gravier plate put into immediate use without any changes, creating 62B. So I guess the for the treasure hunters out there, and it differs from Scott number 68, uh, the biggest, uh, most 
uh, easy recognizable difference is the uh, the banner of stars at the top. There's a, a a heavy line underneath it that was added for number 68 that is completely missing on 62B, and uh, that is the most identifiable way to tell a 68 from a 62B. Now the premier gravures uh, are now considered essays or trial colors in the case of the 24 cent and the 30 cent um, because uh, they were not used, they were initial designs and they were issued for use in, as postage. So that, that's why they're relegated to the trial colors and essays in the back of the book. Uh, oh. Many, many years ago, they were actually included in the Scott catalog with numbers. And uh, I guess they filled the numbers from 56 to 62, as well as um, 65. Yeah, number 66. What happened with number 66? Because it goes from 65 to 67 in the Scott's catalog. Right, and 66 is also one of those designs. There are collectors who have old albums, and they want to fill all the spaces in their albums, so they actually look for these Scott numbers that no longer uh, exist in the catalog. And, you know, when something like that comes in, uh, for expertizing, a lot of times it will have an old certificate with that old Scott number on it, and we have to issue the certificate today as it's listed in the catalog today. So just because it comes back as an essay or a trial color proof does not mean it's not these rare Premier Gravier stamps. It just means that the catalog number has changed, and therefore, because our certificate is dated today, we use the current catalog not a catalog that's 70 years old. So numbers like number 66 is now number 66TC. Is that correct? It's 66TC6, I believe it is. Yeah. So number 66 used to be, you know, 65, 66, 67. Now it's 65, 67. And the 66 is way in the back with the essays and trial colors. Right. Do you put on the cert that it was formerly number 66? I can... I don't normally do that, um, but if the customer requests that I do, I will. Because I notice on some auction catalogs, um, like right now, I, I'm, I'm thinking about the Cherrystone auction coming up. Um, they're using the old Scott numbers. They are, absolutely. Yeah. Because this, you know, that's a marketing thing. That's the way they get to their customer. They get them to buy these things because they're have these old numbers, and the older albums have spaces for them. I think uh, I've actually seen that on the, I think it was on Siegel. They actually had yeah. some that were. Siegel has done that they, too. They have the old Scott number as the lot, describing the lot. And then they list in the description the the essay or the trial color number that corresponds to it. Right. right. They, don't, they don't list it what it is today and then say it was formerly this number. They list it as this number. Right. But now it's this, now right. it's the essay. Right. It's all marketing. It's all marketing. Yeah, because they um, put it in the catalog if as you go, like number fifty-six. If you 56 go out and buy a new album that was, you know, printed today, there will not be spaces for those in there, unless you buy a, a specific specialty supplement for your album. But 
these auction auction companies because there's a lot of money in these stamps. Uh, so they're marketing it, and they want to kind of keep this alive so that not only can they make money, but then the customers that own yeah. them can uh, recoup any money that they may have invested. Oh, these took and, a big hit when they, oh, got, absolutely. when they got moved to the back of the catalog. They took oh, a huge absolutely. hit. Any time the Scott catalog moves numbers around uh, like this, uh, they always take uh, a value hit because now... Uh, the albums that they print generally will no longer they will no longer have spaces for them, and so uh, as a collector moves from beginner to intermediate to advanced, you know if you're using, you know if you're moving as an intermediate collector and you have let's say a national album, it's it's a very nice very comprehensive album, but today they don't include these stamps. And so you basically, the mentality is you want to fill all the spaces. Um, and so it, if there's no space, then you don't even bother looking for it. So and drop in demand. So there's a huge drop in demand, which causes a drop in price. And so what these auction companies are doing, they're marketing. They're trying to, to say, well, yes, these should have high values and they do belong in the album when... Uh, the Scott catalog has deemed that they do not. Mm -hmm. I don't like the way the Scott catalog put like a little block in there with like the num with all the numbers that were removed and what their new numbers were. Yeah. I wish they would have left the number there and said, see this number. Yeah. In the essay section. Yeah. Cause now it's like you get to those numbers and you go, Hmm. <laughs> Where are they? And then and then and then there's the, I mean it's literally there it's in like the middle column. I mean so through the catalog's uh, yeah. three columns wide and all what five eight or so of these stamps take up like a half inch of space in the center column. Yeah. With a tiny tiny footnote and it's like you know you go through the column it's like suddenly there's numbers missing you're like I can't find this number and you have to keep going and it's like oh it's over here in this footnote. It's yeah. like Keep the original number in there for 66 and say this, you know, now listed as this page 574. I actually like that idea. I think that would be a smart way to do it. Because yeah. it, it, it confuses well, me yeah. when I get them. And I mean, well, because I'm, I'm. Well, you have missing <laughs> doing numbers. Doing them for a living. And well, people look at it and go, well, where are these numbers? Yeah. I, I mean, we're talking about classic stamps, but. Uh, let's flip it and talk about something that's not so old. Look at the uh, Liberty series from the 1950s. <laughs> yeah. They had, you know, they listed, uh, their original pattern was to list the cheaper variety as the major number and then the more expensive or scarcer variety as the, as the letter. And then uh, a few years ago they went back, oh, well, let's change that. Let's order it in the, uh, put them in the order that they were, issued meaning that all the wet printings now have major numbers and all the dry printings are now when actually it was reversed yeah. for just about all of them because the dry printings are more common in, and, and the difference in price and and was right. insignificant it was very insignificant but uh, and then they tried to do that for consistency through the other issues the postage dues and the uh, other things that also had wet and dry printings. Uh, 
Yeah. And, you know, this makes confusion because now you have an old certificate with one number and the same number is still a, a listed in the catalog. It's just a different Not variety. Your stamp. <laughs> it's oh, a the, different yeah. variety. And now, now this, you know, it's difficult. And there's from um, a certificate. There's no footnote in the catalog no. saying we flipped these numbers. Yeah. Uh, but so yeah, there are issues with the catalog uh, that are not confined to any one era. Well, I remember when they did it, we had a problem here at PSE for issuing certificates. Well, absolutely. Because the people would get a certificate and it would be a different number. And you'd have to look at the date that we That's put right. on you the certificate. To, you have to look at the date of the certificate and get a catalog from that year right. to determine what which variety you have. So if you got a 200, 2016 certificate, and you had to use a 2016 because if you used a 2015, the number was wrong. Yes. Yes, and uh, you know that is one concern uh, about changing numbers in the catalog. But well, that's also another reason why you should get a certificate updated when you know if you notice that the catalog number has changed, you should jump on that and get your certificate uh, updated. Yeah, and generally there's no cost to that. Sometimes, sometimes well, there it's is. A but minimal you, cost. It's a minimal cost. No, I agree. I agree. And uh, like my personal motto is that we are here to make stamp collecting less difficult, not more difficult. Correct. That's it. I'm designing a whole new number system. <laughs> you got it. I know. Let's call it the Scott numbering system or the Scott and Tom numbering system. <laughs> oh, there you go. It's the Scott number system. Because it's Scott. That's right. <laughs> it's mine. Unfortunately, I think the catalog, current catalog, might have something to say about yeah, that. Yeah, I, th I think there would be some <laughs> resistance. So we'll call it the Tom number. Ah. Mm. <laughs> That's right. I'm really reading this. You really are. Oh, man. I'm sorry. A coin collector and a stamp collector walk into a bar. Which is funny. You think this first or second guy would have seen it. I know, right? <laughs> are they okay? <laughs> when we get to the end, you'll have to decide for yourself. <laughs> the answer is no. The answer is no. It's always no. The coin collector says, I have a half dollar, and see on the bottom it says 1851. On the back it has an O, so that means it was minted in New Orleans. So that makes this an 1851 New Orleans half dollar, and it is worth about $500. Stamp collector says, That's nothing. I have a blue one-cent stamp with Benjamin Franklin on it, and it's also from 1851. It's a, it's a U.S. number five, and it catalogs for $125,000. Oh, the fifth stamp made by the United States, asked the coin collector. No, it's the third stamp printed by the United States. U.S. number three is the 182nd stamp printed, but it was never actually usable for postage, so it isn't really a postage stamp. Coin collector looks very confused. No, this blue stamp comes from the first plate of the 12 plates used to print this stamp. More particularly, it is from the top row of that plate, the seventh stamp from the right, to be exact. That is not but correct. Is that, but is that the right of the left pane or the right of the right pane? It's the oh. seventh stamp from the right of the right pane. Or seventh stamp from the left of the right pane. So why is it so special, asked the coin collector. 
Well, see the bottom curls? Well, you don't because the stamp has bad margins. But if the margins were better, you would see that the curls are complete. Now be aware that the curls are also complete on the fourth plate of these 12 plates used to print this stamp, but those are not as rare. I don't see the curls, says the coin collector. And also 1852. What? The stamp collector continues, well, to be exact, June 5th, 1852. If the stamp was printed after June 5th, 1852, then it would not be a US number five, it would be a US number nine. Is that the ninth stamp issued? Never mind. Ignore that I asked that. No, there were six stamps issued between five and nine. So why isn't this stamp US number 12? Ugh, forget it that I asked that also. So number five, which is the third stamp issued and comes from the first plate used, the seventh stamp from the right, and is worth $125,000, but if it is from plate four, then it is worth $3,200. However, if it was printed after June 5th, 1852, then it is worth $100, because then it would be a U.S. number nine, which is sort of the 12th stamp of the United States. The coin collector stands up and yells, if you are not going to take this seriously, then I'm leaving, and storms out of the bar. What the hell was that? Yeah, I think today we applause by snapping our fingers. Thank you. Thank you very little. (laughs) (laughs) The 1851 one-cent stamp is an interesting design change. The post office in 1851 changed the rates on mail from 5 cents to 3 cents, a reduction. When the postal rates changed, new stamps were needed. The 5 and 10 cent 1847 issue was replaced with a 1 cent, a 3 cent, and a 12 cent stamp, each issued in 1851. On this day. On this very day. On this very day in 1851. The 1 cent stamp met three needs. Prepaying the drop rate, paying the circular or newspaper rate, and obviously adding to other stamps to make up other rates. Scott, what is a drop rate? A drop rate is when you take your letter to the post office that it will be delivered from. So you basically, you drop it off at the post office. Instead of having the postman pick it up and take it to the post, kind of cut out that part of the process in in the post office process. processing your mail. Why don't we have that today? Because I want to pay, I want to pay, le- I want to pay less if I don't do their work for them. Yeah, the post office would lose a whole bunch of money then. Yeah, if yep. like... Uh, depositing a letter in Las Vegas and having it delivered in Las Vegas. Well, that's what happens when you pay your bills online. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The post office loses. One of the big money makers for the post office was bill payments. And when electronic bill payments became available and widely used, that's what caused them to lose a lot of money. Oh, yeah. There are five major types of the 1851 imperforate stamp and six major types of the 1857 perforate stamp, some of which are very rare and valuable, cataloging at more than $100,000. Almost all of these were caused because when they designed the one-cent stamp, it turned out to be too big for the sheet of paper it was to be printed on. All these types are caused by what or how much of the design was trimmed off. All except Scott number five, which has the whole design. So when they laid out the plates, they put these, the 
the individual stamp designs too close together. And they realized that they needed to be able to separate these stamps and not mutilate the design on the next stamp. And so what they did is they took and they burnished off columns and rows between the stamp to make space between the stamps. And so since each one was entered by hand, uh, you get varying degrees of, uh, and then of course the burnishing was all done by hand too. So you get varying degrees of elimination of the design around the edges on these stamps to accommodate the, make the spacing. And it's mostly the, the spacing at the top and the bottom. Yeah, this one-cent stamp was really ornate. It was a really nice-looking stamp. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But it it was so big, they go, well, you know, we got to sacrifice something here. So, you know, they literally just hacked off pieces of the design so it would fit on the paper. Right. And it just happened that, that that one position was probably shifted up slightly in the row so that when they burnished the bot because since it was in the top row when they burnished off the between the first and second rows of the stamp on that plate they just it was lucky enough they missed well actually all of the ornamentation on the bottom on the bottom of that stamp actually number five it's a little different they misplaced it like you said right but it's also got they hammered it out and said oh we got to get rid of this then they put it in again Yes, because of the double transfer, right, is why you see the design. Right, it was slightly, it was adju- the position was slightly adjusted. So what you actually see is you see the side detail of two different entries, and so the the second entry they put in reinforced what was missing from the first one. And number five has the most complete design of any of them, and that's why number five stands out it, it it would stand out in any case well my personal opinion is since all oh, most of these types come off of a single plate or can come off of a single plate or a single issue it should be one scott number and these these design differences minute as they are should be just variety listings i agree with you 100 percent. it'll never happen but there That's was a, there the was way a, I view it. There was a very famous person named Nikon who wrote a book about this. And all of a sudden, people realized this. Not true. What? This went on very early on. It was the stamp dealers who wanted to sell more stamps when there were, they only had. Oh, no, no, know, no. They only had a couple dozen stamps to yeah. sell. They wanted to sell more stamps. But Nikon so they is found the one, all these little tiny rice. Yeah, but he, before Nikon, these didn't have the value they did. No, not even close. No, but he he organized it. He studied the issue. Yeah, and he wrote a book on how to tell. Well, it's like U.S. number ten and U.S. It's number not a eleven. Book, it's War and Peace. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but uh, Chase did the same thing for the three cent and uh, number ten. This is back when uh, number eleven actually had the uh, category no- or the catalog number of number thirty three. And when it was number 33 back before they renumbered everything, um, orange-brown was just a variety of number 33. When they redid it, they gave it its own number. They call, gave it a number 10, and number 11 
are different stamps now. And then in, uh, what was it, 2017 or 16, one or the other, uh, then they separated out number 10A and number 11A. And in my opinion, they should be varieties, not, I mean, it was a single, it was intended as a single issue. Just because the printing plates were different should not in any way uh, create a separate uh, major listing. In my opinion, and I agree with you, in my opinion, if two different varieties appear on the same plate, it's a variety. It's not well, a even even if the, even number. if it's the same issue and they change the plates. I mean, look at look at uh, coil stamps from the nineteen eighties and nineties where you have plate numbers, and they cha- you collect plate number strips of the transportation coils. They're di- it's the same issue. They're different plate numbers. Yeah. Why did they change? Oh, we adjusted the paper, or we adjusted this ink, or we. D- but it's the same issue. They have one listing. There's no minor letter for it. They're just listed as different plate numbers in the catalog. And that's the way these early stamps should be. I agree with you. I 100% agree. Now, number five is still going to be a major item. Um, You might have a spot for it in the catalog. It's going to be a premium item because it's got the full design. Absolutely. But it doesn't deserve its own number. Correct. And, And as a matter of fact, I would... I would suggest that you have a generic, non-typed listing as the major variety, and then specific types. All the types get their own, if you want to do it that way, give their own minor letter. So that, okay, type 1 is this, type 1A is this, type 1B is this, type 1C is this. And then, um, you know, if it's just a random stamp that hasn't been plated and typed and all of that you can say it's the generic one and oh well it's even worse than that because (laughs) when you get to the perforated issues and it occurs on the imperforated issues but when you get to the perforated issues the defining characteristic like uh the the cutoff top you may not be able to see the top because of the margins i mean it's very 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 well i mean a pair of scissors can fix that on a on a imperfect stamp too yeah, I mean, if it's cut poorly, yeah. yeah, there may be like the double transfer on number five. You may be able to tell it's from that position, but the char- other characteristics of the type, like the complete bottom, may be missing because a pair of scissors uh, cut it in just the right way. We well, I have. We both know a person, and he's a good friend. He found a U.S. number five. Mm-hmm. but it w- had bad margins on the top and the bottom. So it didn't look full at the top, didn't look full at the bar- bottom. But like I said, it's a double transfer. That's why it shows the full design. He recognized the double transfer. And so he said, this is from that position. This is a number five, but it doesn't show the characteristics of a number five. So in my opinion, it's not a number five because it doesn't show the characteristics. Well, uh, on the other side, though, you can put it in the catalog in that spot. And it catalogs $125,000, even though, he, here, here's the punchline. Hold on, hold on. Punchline, okay? Catalogs $125,000. He bought it from a major dealer for $19. Yeah. Yeah. And and because it's that position, he sold it for a lot of money. No, 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 even, he kept it. He kept it. It's in his collection because he has no chance of getting another one. <laughs> yeah, well. But uh, you know, it, my 
my problem with that is, okay, so it's one position off the plate, and why is the position next to it or below it or? or well, actually, you know, the position next to it is a one A, which is also really super valuable. I understand that, but it's nowhere near the value of an right. You know, it's you know, the stamp below it is a hundred and twenty-five dollar stamp. The stamp above it is a hundred and twenty-five thousand dollar stamp and same printing plate and to yeah. me that is not i mean that's one of the things that makes stamp collecting uh both good and bad it's good from the treasure hunt perspective you can you can find stuff that other people miss and make a lot of money but at the same time it's very confusing with your beginner oh absolutely but and you do have that treasure finding yes thing. i mean i remember when i started uh, just the different types on these was just absolutely confusing. And, uh, you know, I have it in my brain now, but... Well, I've been collecting these issues for many decades, but the hitch is it's difficult to become an expert when every stamp, you know, on the cheap side is going to cost you 50 bucks. Yeah. I mean, I collect number 11s. You can buy number 11s for $3. You can become an expert with, you know, spend a 1000 bucks. You can be an expert. But being an expert with the one centers, with $1,000, you're not even scratching the surface. No. Nope. And I don't understand with the things like the number 10s and 11s. They have kind of what we're talking about. They have all of the varieties of recuts, but none of them are different stamp numbers. Yeah. You know, recutting the, you know, different lines, different boxes, the rosettes, and, you know, all that. They have all these different recuts, but those don't all have separate Scott numbers. And number 11 and number 11A, number 11A wasn't a number. It was just recut in a frame lines, and it had no premium. And it's the same thing with number 10. Uh, number 10 actually only comes from one plate. All the rest of them come from another plate. But number 10 is actually the rarest one, and the recut inner lines was just a note underneath it. You know, it, it was... Uh, As it should be. A slight As discount. it should be. Yeah. They recut the plate so that they could continue to use it. Yeah, they wanted to strengthen the detail a little bit. Like you were talking about 62B. The... Uh, when you, and again, people, this is something for you to treasure find. Whenever you see a number 68... Look at this, the band of stars. Underneath it, they sort of saw that the white space sort of blended in with the stars. So they just said, uh, can you put a line there? Just draw a line there. And so they drew a line there. And you can see, if you look at the Scott's catalog, because they point out the little nub at the top and stuff like that. And yes, you can see it, but if it's poorly perforated, you don't see the top. If there's a cancel on top of it, you don't see the top. But you always, 100% of the time, see that line unless there's something really freaky going on. So you look for that line between the band of the stars and the white spot. Now, there's a color difference, too, between 68 and 62 Well, 68 right? yeah. 62 is generally a deeper, richer green. But right. you have 68s uh, that are the same color. Um, you yeah. can, but those are more rare. Yeah. Well, are there 62Bs that might be the yellow-green? I've never no, seen one. No, I've never seen so, one. So if you have a darker green 10 cent, look for it for that, sure to be that a could, That could also be an, uh, an indicator, but you know that a lot of times can take years of experience just handling the stamps to realize that, 
oh, okay, that's the shade that should be associated with 62B. Um, because the shades are similar, um, and people tend to have less memory for shades until they actually work with them day in and day out. Well, the um, other thing is you say dark green, and you go, well, looks dark to me. Yes, <laughs> and that's that's another thing. It, it's... It's kind of like uh, pre-numerical grading, dealer grade. Yeah. You know, it's, okay, it's VF, or it's VF for the issue. Uh, well, what does that mean? Because if it's in his box, he's going to charge five times catalog, and if it's in his <laughs> box, he's charging half cat. Yeah. So, uh, you know, but it's, everybody, it's very yeah. non... It's, it's less descriptive than... Uh, it's more subjective than it you really want it to be. Well, let me uh, go through number five here for people so that when you're picking them out and even, okay, in 1852, they recut it. So a number five turned into a number nine. Now, number nine from that position is still a premium item. It's still even worth though it's of, not listed in the catalog. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> it's not, it's not a number five, but people stick it in the number five spot. So they're willing to pay a premium so that they can put a stamp there. Anyway, in the word on the top, it says post postage. In the O of postage, you're going to see two wings on the top of it. it, it the top of the O is going to look like there's like a sort of a pie slice lines out of it. And they're not going to be really noticeable. It's not going to send out a lot, but... That's part of the double transfer, and that's the easiest thing. If you see an O and it's got two lines up on the top, think of like a Y, except you don't see the bottom and the middle. Wouldn't that be a V? Okay, think of a, <laughs> think of a V. <laughs> think of a V, and you see the, t the ends of the V in the O of postage. If you see those, set it aside and go, oh, I better check on that. Now I know why we have issues with the script. Yeah. <laughs> you well, can't tell a V from a Y. <laughs> Makes all the sense in the world now. So that's how you can pick out number fives, or actually how you pick out that position. And like I said, if it's a number nine because it's recut, it's still a premium number nine because people put that in the number five. I know I have a number nine from that position in my number five because... I'm not going to spend $125,000 for a stamp because it's a variety. All I can think of now is A-E-I-O-U and sometimes V. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Bad brain. No, you don't want to hear those. So the last thing we're going to discuss is the Legends of the West sheet, where they changed the design of one of the guys. Actually, they, they didn't change the design of one of the guys. They had the wrong guy. Yeah, yeah. they had the wrong guy. The wrong actually, actually, I want to point out, they actually did change the design on most of the stamps also. It does look a little different. The borders around the stamp, the red line around the stamp, was thinned out in the recut sheet. So in the recall sheet, you're going to have a thick line around the picture of the stamp and on the normal you're going to have a thinner now the only drawback is the four corners don't have red lines around the stamp so you can't tell those apart but everything else you can tell whether it's from a recut sheet or not or excuse me a recalled sheet or not 
So from an expert's point of view, how do you tell those corner stamps apart? Well, I actually tore apart one of these because I needed a single of the uh, Mr. Pickett stamp. So I, I Why would you need a single? Because I put it on a little exhibit page. Ah. Um, It was uh, when we were doing the Bass Reeves, and I made a little exhibit page for the podcast, so I wanted a single. Um, But in the corners, I left a stamp next to it. So the stamps in the corner are pairs so that I can say, see, it's from the recall sheet. And then I... So from an expert standpoint, how do you tell them apart? You tell the submitter, don't tear it out of the sheet. <laughs> and that way... Certify the whole sheet first. That, then break that, it up and send it back in. But but even then, you want, you want somebody associated with the expertizing service to observe the breaking of the sheet so that they can verify yeah. that that stamp came from the sheet. Well, now you're getting into the comic book stuff that Greg was talking about where the... You know, somebody from the comic book grading company has to witness the artist sign it or it's, yep. or or it's, it doesn't da- count. Or it's damaged instead of signed. Yes. Well, that's that's more to combat fraudulent signatures, yeah. but yes, no, in the, in this it's it's uh same but, similar same but different. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's similar to uh stamps on cover when you have to remove a stamp to uh definitively determine a a watermark or something. something. You want to make sure that that stamp originated on the cover, so you certify the cover first. Then you remove the stamp, check the stamp, and then you can reattach the stamp, uh, but you have both certificates. Now, that doesn't really work in the case of this because as a modern stamp, it's uh, the perforations aren't going to be unique because it's of the way it was perforated. And so you're just not going to be able to tell... (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, I don't know anybody who's collecting Legends of the West individual guys anyway. You know... I know of two sheets broken up. One was in an exhibit that's that's at Westpac, and he goes through each person and talks about them, and he shows the recalled in the regular, and me. And those are the only two sheets that I think anybody was really stupid enough to break up. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that Wyatt Earp and Wild Bill Hickok are actually the same guy? It's just one... In one picture, he's wearing a wig. <laughs> oh, man. Well, John C. Fremont, who, if a shameless plug for my uh, upcoming uh, Relics of History, which is going to come out and everybody is going to be subjected and forced to listen to, I talk about John C. Fremont. He's in his military uniform now in the sheet where uh, he is not really famous for being a military guy. They changed hats too, Mark. Uh, it looked like it was like, push back a little bit but maybe yeah i guess it is a different hat and of course the major person who was left out bass reeves i know he's my hero yeah, how many but, times did he get shot yeah yeah he was great he got shot in the belt yeah he got shot in the belt and then he got it, shot it, in the hat yeah his hat got shot off it, the bridle got shot out of his hand the bridle yeah so, yeah so he wasn't shot once <laughs> yeah yeah he his was... accoutrements were shot many times <laughs> yes. somebody did not like his style yep and no, what was it uh, thought, episode I, number 66 or something if you want yeah. to go search, search for through we did a fantastic episode on bass reeves i thought bass reeves was more of a south Eastern kind of guy. 
Yeah, but yeah, did, he was well. A no, he he was mm-hmm. a marshal in uh, Arizona, right? No, when mm-hmm. he uh, Missouri and Louisiana, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Well, no, it was that would be why he's not in the Legends of the West sheet. Yes. Uh, so when they come out with the legends of the southeast sheet, <laughs> oh God. he's in like Flynn. My only other comment was, why couldn't he be on the Black Heritage series? Right. That would be a good one. That yeah. would be a very good one. Suggest so that to the stamp people. Let's let's start a stamp petition. I think we should. Now, why were you talking about this sheet? Was it just because of the borders? What, because of Legends of the West? Legends of the West? Well, it's a design change. Yeah, it's a design change. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I didn't know that the rest of the stamps had a design change. Yeah. That's why we're here. Infotainment. This is the first podcast I'm coming away more educated. Oh. What? (laughs) (laughs) How did that happen? Only took 222 episodes. Mark learned something. (laughs) He he, he hasn't listened to any of the others. (laughs) Oh, that's that would make any difference. Support your podcast by joining the Stamp Show Here Today podcast as a member. We are an APS member club. The cost is $10, and you can mail a check to P.O. Box 539-309, Henderson, Nevada, 89053-9309. One new voice message and one saved message. New message. You have been listening to the award-winning Stamp Show Here Today, brought to you by the Nevada Philatelic Research Library. Produced and edited by Cash Breakfast, with engineering and recording by Tom Schilling, research by Scott Murphy and Mark Leon, and I'm your host, Don Doss. Please subscribe to us on iTunes or Podbean, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Visit us at stampshowheretoday.com, and thank you for listening. To replay this message, press 1. To delete... Press 7. To save, press 9. Message saved. There are no more messages. Main menu. Stamp show here today. Stamp show here today. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.